0: The Marble Machine Hello, listeners. As you probably already know, I was sent back to the 19th century by the Marble Machine. In fact, I'm still here. For those of you who've just tuned in, the Marble Machine is a storytelling machine with extraordinary powers. And this is its podcast. Um, you can support us on patreon.com slash themarblemachine and become a patron if you like. Lately, the marble machine sent me on a time-traveling mission on which I met a Father Christmas. I am still standing in his workshop. The workshop is where he makes presents and, um, little elf statues. I am holding one in my hand as I speak. My mission was to help him with a fire in his basement. It turns out the fire is a fairy fire, and when you put a little elf statue into it, It becomes alive and helps Father Christmas to deliver his presents. Did... did I get that all right, Mr. Christmas? Almost, boy. (laughs) The fairy fire is a portal. It takes me wherever I want to go. (laughs) All I have to do is imagine the place before I step inside the fire. Miraculous, listeners. Did you hear that? It makes me wonder, though... Why do you need my help? Uh, I mean, everything seems to be going fine. Yes, fine indeed. It is not that I need your help with the fire. Let us just say I owe the marble machine and your landlord, Mr. Pidret, a little favor. (laughs) There are two reasons they sent you here. First, the story you found here was stuck in time. The marble machine couldn't get to it. That's why it needed to send you. And secondly, and that is why you are here in my basement, you should bring back an elf statue for Mr. Pitteret. I see. Well, I must get back to work now, boy. All those presents don't make themselves, you know. Ho, ho, ho. Was a pleasure to have made the acquaintance. Oh, sure. Um, likewise, Mr. Christmas. But the fire, um, what should I do? Oh, well, isn't that obvious? You have the elf statue in your hand already. Take it, think of home, and off you go. You, you mean... Yes, I I guess you do. Otherwise, you wouldn't be pointing your finger at the fire. Right, listeners? The things I do for the marble machine, eh? (laughs) Um... So this won't burn me? Not a hair on your skin. Want me to give you a little push? No, no, thanks. I'll I'll manage. Taking a step closer now, hearing the fire crackle. (laughs) It doesn't seem to be very hot, though. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm putting a finger into the flames now. And... uh, Hmm. Strange, it feels a little chilly. Not hot at all. Okay, um, think of home and here we go. Oh, look, I'm in the attic, and Tim and the Marble Machine are here to welcome me. Oh, feels so good to have you guys back at last, my friends. The time-traveling adventurer has returned. Ah yeah, and with him, his time-traveling sidekick, Norbert Nörkelin. Whoa. An elf, listeners? I forgot about the elf statue. It has come to life. So I have indeed, yes, yes. Please, please, call me Norbert. Tim says that he is proud of me for having accomplished the Marble Machine's mission. Well, to be honest, I didn't do much. But now that you mention it, I feel rather satisfied with myself, too. But why did the Marble Machine want an elf? No offense, Norbert? But why are you here? Well, my Wenigkeit is here to help. Oh, uh, true. Listeners, Tim says it's time for the next story. Well, Tim said he will tell me all about why Norbert is here after the story. <laughs> ah, there is that familiar sound that I missed so much while being away, time traveling. The marble machine is preparing a marble. <gasps> There's the marble, a nice, fat, purple one. Here we go! A New Beginning Written and narrated by Jacob Graf Recorded and edited by Tim Höfer Did you know that the way people arrange their rooms reflects how they feel? Susan asked as Michael moved his king-size bed to another part of the room. It happens completely unconscious. When you reorganize your outside world, it's often to express what's going on inside." -"What are you saying?" Michael asked. -"Nothing specific. Just that it makes sense that you would rearrange your furniture now that she broke up with you." Michael knew that his sister had a point. -"It can be dangerous sometimes," Susan said. -"I'm late for an appointment, Sue," he said, grabbed his coat and made Susan leave the flat. It was already dark when Michael returned. The moonlight curiously crawled through his drapes to inspect the new arranged room. It cast a row of horizontal shadows on the wall facing the bed. The shadows looked like a barcode. Sleep didn't come easy for Michael. He got up and removed his little bonsai from the windowsill so that the moonlight hit the wall without anything crossing its way. A barcode, he murmured, and when he lay down again, Michael fell asleep instantly. Violently ripped out of his sleep, Michael found himself trapped inside a hard plastic cover. There was no opening in the transparent coffin that surrounded him. I'm going to suffocate, Michael thought. He felt around with his hands and noticed that the material at his backside was different. The plastic cover seemed to be glued onto a piece of cardboard. Just as he attempted to make a hole into the cardboard, a huge hand lifted him up and carried him away. Moving his head as far as his prison allowed it, he saw the contours of the giant creature that was carrying him. From what he saw, it looked humanoid. Michael's stomach turned upside down. The huge hand dropped him. Hello, he called out, but no one answered. The darkness was complete and all-encompassing there was a noise. Someone opened a zipper and light flooded his prison. As absurd as it seemed, there was absolutely no doubt that he was inside some sort of giant backpack. Something big and silver was shining just in front of him. But before he could think about what it was, an even bigger hand than the first grabbed the shiny thing and then came back for him. The hand handed him over to the smaller one. It belonged to a boy about a dozen times Michael's size. The plastic crunched as the kid's white teeth ripped at the wrapping. At first, Michael thought that the boy was going to eat him alive, but instead he tore a hole into the cardboard and freed him. Thank you, Michael shouted. The giant boy ignored this, put his hand over Michael's head and put him down. He was now standing in a field of red braids that rose to his ankles. A giant carpet, Michael figured. The kid crouched down in front of him, and started to pull and rip against his limbs, forcing him to perform a series of attack and defense maneuvers. It hurt like hell, but he soon understood that there was a system to the movements the kid was making him do. With every drill of punches and throws, and with every time his leg got violently swung into the air for a high kick, Michael felt his body adjust. The boy seemed pleased with the progress and left Michael alone, only to return a minute later with two other boxes. One was filled with a bunch of toy soldiers that reached up to Michael's knees. They were stuck onto their plastic standing aids. Although their bodies couldn't move, their faces were very much alive. The soldiers were constantly scanning the area for potential dangers. After arranging the soldiers, the boy opened the second box. He gave the leathery-looking thing inside the box a jerk to make it stand. Fury and bloodlust lurked in the deadly hollows of the creature that now stood in front of Michael. It had no lips and just a gaping hole where its mouth was supposed to be. A round flesh ball covered in sharp bladed steel spikes appeared at the end of a purple tongue. The boy pulled violently at the flesh-ball, and the creature let out a furious scream. The flesh-ball now hung out of its face, almost down to the floor. The creature fixated its hollow eye sockets on Michael, and with a twitch of its head, it flung the bladed flesh-ball toward him. It missed Michael just by an inch and beheaded one of the toy soldiers next to him. Michael froze as the creature charged. It leapt forward across the carpet in monkey-like movements, A reptilian tail helped it keep its balance. Just when it fired its deadly tongue at him, Michael felt the touch of the giant kid's finger on the small of his back. Instinctively, Michael ducked under the bladed spike ball and grabbed the fleshy tendon that was its tongue. In one fluid motion, he jerked the creature's head down toward him and thrust his knee right into its temple. The creature staggered and toppled over, its neck unnaturally twisted from the impact of Michael's blow. Michael was dazzled by his own strength and that he had not only evaded certain death, but also won a fight against a seemingly unstoppable opponent. The giant kid raised Michael's arm up in victory and then took the creature and ripped off its head with a plopping sound as if it were made of rubber. The new hero of the underworld saved the terrified villagers! The boy cheered, and the toy soldiers cheered with him. Our new hero! The boy brought another box, but Michael never got to see what was inside. He was carried away and dropped into another dark prison. Something stirred, and Michael prepared himself to face his next enemy. A small flame ignited. The slender hand that lit the candle belonged to a beautiful, feline-looking woman with dark, obsidian eyes. Her hair hung all the way down to her hips in long, ebony waves, and her vanilla skin felt as smooth as silk as she touched a finger to his lips. I, Michael began, but she shook her head and pressed her finger down harder. Shh, she said, and inspected his body in the candlelight. You're not hurt. That's very good. She smiled, but her eyes carried a deep sadness that never went away, not even when Michael made her laugh where am i michael asked home you're safe here no one ever comes here except the boy when he comes you must fight but while you're here with me nothing can harm you she lit another candle and the dim light revealed that he was in a room full of soft cushions and blankets there was a small table with a steaming cup of tea on it michael and the lady sat down the hot liquid warmed him and the lady caressed his back and stroked his hair When he sat down his cup, she gently moved a leg around his waist and pressed her body tight against his. Michael leaned deeply into her kiss. Their bodies pushed into each other with a gentle rhythm that seemed to continue forever. When it ended, the lady lay down beside him and cupped her hands around his ears, drowning his senses in a deep, comforting silence to which he fell asleep. He dreamt of a woman that reminded him of someone he once knew. Moving furniture can be dangerous, the woman in his dream said. It can mean a new beginning. Michael awoke with tears streaming down his face, but he didn't know what the dream was supposed to mean and why what the woman had said had made him cry. He turned his head and by doing so, he moved one of the lady's hands from his ears. The screams were terrifying. They belonged to those who hadn't been lucky that day and lay in a chamber just like his. Some crippled some dying. He grabbed the lady's hands and made her cup his ears again, and he buried his head in her warm, soft chest. The next time he awoke, the giant kid came to bring him back to the battlefield. Fight, the lady told him. Fight if you want to be back in my arms again. What if I don't want to fight? It's all you have left. Fight for me, and I will be there to ease the pain. That night he returned victorious again, The toy soldiers called him Hero, and after the lady of the chamber took care of his wounds, he dreamt of the strangely familiar woman again. If he were to forget her completely, he would continue to be the giant kid's toy. Then the day would come where he would be defeated. He would die on the battlefield, or in his lady's chamber, or maybe just get thrown into the garbage. But if he decides to listen to the lady in his dream, then he might think about rearranging the furniture in the chamber he now lives in. Then, maybe, he will wake up to a new beginning. Welcome back, listeners! Tim told me that Norbert is here to help Mr. Pitterit and the Marble Machine with story-searching stuff. I asked him what that meant, and uh, Norbert offered to demonstrate his elf skills. So here I am waiting for our little helper friend to. to. well, um, what exactly are you going to do, Norbert? What all my kin do best? I nerkle. Nerkle. Nur- huh? Yes, right? Listeners, this is quite extraordinary indeed. Little Norbert is dancing in a circle and spinning around like a madman his spinning seems to create some sort of bluish light. I I think I've seen this before. If I'm not mistaken, this this is fairy fire. Not mistaken indeed. Wow, listeners, the elf just jumped through the fire and is gone now. But the fire is still burning and... Norbert, there you are again and you brought something back. A sack of Marbles, yes. Tim says the Marble Machine can access stories from other times and dimensions more easily with Norbert's help and the use of the fairy fire. Oh, oh I see. So what happens is that Norbert travels to a Marble Machine in a different dimension. Well, I guess we can expect some spectacular new stories soon then. Hmm, Tim says Norbert also will help Mr. Pidrit with some of his business, but that, says the Marble Machine, is none of our business. Well, listeners, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you do want to support us, please go to patreon.com themarblemachine and become a patron. Also, check out our website, themarblemachine.com. And as you all know, the next marble will drop.